0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode eight hundred fifty six for Monday, February eighth,
1: twenty twenty one. Ladies, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in. Your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found, we mash them all together, we string them into an agenda, and we loosely follow the agenda because the goal is for each of us to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Five. Sponsors for this episode include audible.com slash MGG, sunbasket.com slash MGG, barebones.com, and linode.com slash MGG. We'll talk in depth about each of those shortly here. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, as usual, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. John F. Braun, Fairfield, Connecticut, uh, number one in your hearts, number six on the dial. I don't know which, which that is. John F. Braun. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, I don't know where to go from that. Why don't we start with some quick tips and uh, and see see how we do, yeah? All right, sweet. Uh Don brings this one. He says, I'm sure most Mac users know you can have your birthdays automatically populated in the calendar app simply by entering the person's birthday in their contact card. Uh, The calendar app will automatically indicate the year they are celebrating if the birth year is included in contacts. I found an easy way to also have anniversaries indicated in the calendar app by creating a new contact card. With the names of both spouses and the anniversary date. For example, I have a contact card with data for Bob X with his birthday of whatever. Uh, this populates the calendar here with Bob X's, you know, 77th birthday or whatever it is. And then I have a contact card with Kathy, the same thing. And then I created a separate contact card, a third one for Bob and Kathy X with the birthday of whatever their wedding anniversary is. And that populates the Uh, calendar app with Bob and Kathy's uh, 55th and birthday, I guess it says he says, but since there's two names there, I know it's not their birthday. I know that it's their uh, anniversary. So there you go. That's pretty good. I like it. I I, I like little hacks like that. So Uh, yeah, thanks. Good stuff. Any thoughts on that? Mr. Braun before we, uh, before we keep on, keep on trucking here. Nope. All right. All right. Cool. Uh, Let's see. What is next? Patrick. Oh, yeah. In the last episode, we were talking about option clicking on uh, the volume in the menu bar to get the volume system preference pane up. And uh, Patrick says that uh, this works with display and keyboard as well. If you Option click the uh, screen brightness, it gets you to the display preference pane, and Option the keyboard backlight brightness, uh, it gets you to keyboard preferences. So this is on your on your Apple keyboard where you've got those things. If you Option click them, boom, up comes the uh, the thing. That's pretty good. And then he reminds us that the Option key is a great way to get more information in a lot of different parts of macOS, uh, and he gives us two examples. Uh, option click on the sound icon shows you not only the output, but input devices as well. And then option click on the Wi-Fi icon gives you a lot more details about the current Wi-Fi network. And he says, of course, there are a lot more. So, yeah, the 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 moral of this story is don't forget to test things with the option key down. It's fun stuff. Fun stuff avails. I don't know. It's good. Anything uh, come to mind, John?
0: No, I I like the Wi-Fi one. It really gives you a lot of, uh, really helps you uh, understand your uh, environment because it gives you all these levels and stuff.
1: Yeah, channels and well, and it and and if you're on a mesh network, it can be really handy because if you option click that, it will show you the MAC address of the SSID or of the access point that your Mac is connected to. And then you can cross-reference that with the MAC addresses of your access points and know, oh, yeah, I'm connected to the one in the living room instead of the one in the bedroom or whatever. But that, that can be a super handy troubleshooting kind of thing, especially if your mesh doesn't necessarily tell you. I guess most of them do now, but I think even Eero, when it came out, didn't expose... Like, in the Eero app, it didn't tell you, oh, yeah, you know, like, Dave's iMac is connected to the office Wi-Fi. It would just say Dave's iMac is connected and not give any more details. They've they've, they've added more to that, but I guess some of them might might not still have it. So,
0: yeah, anyway, yeah. handy stuff. I have Tabuki. Tabuki Tools does that for me.
1: Tabuki Tools tells you, oh, tells you the Mac address of your.
0: Yeah, it'll tell you when, when you get it handed off from. One to the other, it'll say roaming and then, you know, give you the Mac address
1: of the new one. Yeah. Huh. I've never messed with that part of, I don't leave Debuki tools running all the time. So. Oh, okay. Interesting. Huh. I'll have to check that out. I love, I love what those guys do. That's great. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, John, this week I started, I, I did some installation of, Beta OSs, and some of it was intentional. Even so, I'll start with that. Uh, I had a, I have had the opportunity throughout the pandemic to play some uh, some gigs this summer. I did some outdoor gigs, and then the theater where I do uh, some sort of recurring work. Really, uh, we worked together, and really kind of came up with a good. Um, testing regimen we we were able to source a bunch of tests and and the the net result of it and there's a lot that a lot more than just tests that, that go into this but the net result of it is if we we've, we've created a safe environment to to make theater and it involves a lot of masking and and things like that but anyway I had a what was what's called tech week in the theater world this week for a show that i'm playing which meant I was going to be at the theater every day uh, as we, you know, rehearse the show, we rehearse the show and then we open the show. And this meant that I was going to be wearing a mask a lot of the time because that's that's one of our policies backstage is, you know, everybody's always uh, wearing a mask unless you're performing on stage. And uh, and it's always a pain in the neck because when I grab my phone, I got to unlock and like go through the typey typey with my passcode. And, you know, it's, and and I, of course, I heard that the iOS 14.5 beta added Unlock with your watch if Face ID detects a mask, and and I I say the feature that way because it's not just your phone will unlock uh, with your watch if your watch is on your wrist. It your phone will only unlock with your watch if it detects a face with a mask, and then if your watch is on your wrist, uh, unlocked and has a passcode, then the watch can. Uh, can be used. and it's I'll tell you, a, the fourteen five beta and the watch OS, whatever whichever version it is. I can't remember off the top of my head., uh, but the current betas uh, of uh, iOS and watch OS are for me anyway, rock solid. And this feature is absolutely game changing. The only reason I even know it's happening is because and it should. My watch, you know, taps my wrist just like it would if it unlocked my Mac to let me know that it has unlocked my, my phone and on the watch, there's a little like relock phone button. So if somebody else has my, grabbed my phone and unlocked it because my watch is on my wrist and their face has a mask, uh, I, you know, they, I could tap it and relock my phone without actually having to have my phone in my hand, which is good. Uh, and it only works for unlocking the phone. It does not work for spending any money. So Apple pay and, um, you know, even app store, no go, but man, is it great to be able to grab my phone and, you know, just have face ID work. So I I think this is going to be a way of Apple selling a lot more watches, John, as we, as Hmm. we progress forward. Well, I mean, you know, like for somebody like you, you don't have an Apple watch. You, You haven't, at least thus far, you haven't really had a practical need for one. I mean, not to say that you wouldn't use it, but you know, there hasn't been like that moment where it's like, I need a watch. You know, this is it. I would use it for this. This might be that moment. I don't know. Uh, but I'm sure it will be for some people. So and so anyway, uh, that has been great. And if you're somebody that does the beta thing, great. Otherwise, you know, you'll get it when it comes out, which my guess isn't going to be too, too terribly long. So I just knew with this theater thing this week that I would probably appreciate it. And boy, howdy was, was that guess right. So mm-hmm. it's pretty cool, man. Like it just... It just works. It barely even takes any extra time. It's just, you know, it's smooth. So any thoughts, questions?
0: Yeah, I don't know if they've changed something in Apple Pay lately, but um, when I've tried to use it, my workflow now is, you know, I bring up the card, I tap the power button twice, and then it comes up and says face ID, and it almost immediately falls back to enter passcode. I don't recall it doing that before.
1: Oh, yes I, I think that's because of masking yeah they, they they don't want you to have to wait to, to do that. I think that's right mm-hmm. yeah 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 interesting I'm um, uh, going to our chat room here at live.macgeekab.com. Uh, Alex says yes, we'll call this the Darth Vader feature because uh, Darth Vader's always wearing a mask so so finally Darth Vader gets to be able to unlock with uh, with his Apple watch. Alex asks, do you post any of these gigs on YouTube or elsewhere? Some of the live streams are available from the theater on Crowdcast. This particular show, to answer Bill's question, is called Next to Normal. Uh, and they were not able to get the rights to stream it. When you, when you put on a production, you know, you have to get the rights uh, because somebody else wrote the piece. And those rights are very dependent. It's a whole big thing about, you know, what you can do and how you can market it and how many seats you're going to be able to sell to. And that's how you pay. And one of those things now is, are you permitted to live stream it? And the theater is not permitted to live stream this particular one just by the, you know, the way the rights work. So, so not that one, but some of them, yes. And maybe I'll, I'll post more on like. Twitter at Dave Hamilton or something when, when those things come up to let you all know. So, Um, but John, I had a problem with the Mac OS. I I suppose it's the 11.3 beta. So when I first got my new air, I put it on the beta track for some reason. There was some very specific thing that I wanted to do with it. And, um, and it might have even been inherited from when i migration assisted over my old air because i was on the beta track to to have big sur i think that's all it was and so when i when i migrated over to the m1 air i it, it kept that profile i removed that profile there's a way you can go in you go into software update in system preferences you click the restore to defaults it takes the profile out and that's it but it had kept offering me like the 11.2 beta or something which i had avoided because i didn't you know it was, it was like fine i'm i don't need to run beta software on on my laptop all's good and so this week i knew 11.2 had come out and i'm like oh right i should update my laptop to to 11.2 and so, watching TV or whatever, I grab my laptop, I launch software update. It lists a couple of things. It was like a security update in addition to the OS update. It's like it needs to restart to do this. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Cool, great. And I let it do it. Unbeknownst to me, and this is my fault because I wasn't paying attention, it installed the 11.3 beta. The beta profile is not on there. I don't know why it did this. And it's been a disaster, very specific disaster most of it works just fine. Safari does, I can't get Safari to load most web pages. It appears to be a JavaScript bug or issue. When I launch, if I turn off JavaScript and Safari web pages load, but obviously without JavaScript, most of the web is useless these days. So uh, it, it's a mess. Like it, the the page will clearly half load in the background, but like when it comes time to like, process the DOM and draw the page, nothing happens. It's just blank. And it happens with many, but not all websites, of course. So I don't know what to do because I really kind of rely on that machine. I'm teaching this class at the university, the business of podcasting. And I use this for that class. I don't really use Safari, but still like I'm not happy about having a beta OS on that thing. And I wonder if I can revert back with the Clone. no what what if uh a- APFS and snapshots oh right right I need yes. to look at this
0: go into glad- recovery and yeah if you go into recovery I, I did uh, I had to do this a while ago because I was doing some I think it was similar to you. I was trying to update the OS and, and things were screwing up. And sure. rather than do a restore for my clone, you can go to recovery and go to time machine and it'll show you the most recent several snapshots. And uh, yeah, that's a quicker way to get back where you should be,
1: I think. Interesting. So, okay. So go into recovery mode and launch time machine in recovery mode. And now I can see those snapshots. Is that right?
0: Well, you do. Uh, yeah, there is a time machine option, and when you click on it, it'll. One thing is, it'll show you snapshots. Yeah, yeah, it's not entirely obvious. That was not obvious to me. Yeah, it, it's kind of hidden this you okay. know ability to do that. Okay, but you have to do it from recovery. You can't. It'd be nice if you could do it from, uh, you know,
1: from from the OS itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I am gonna mess with that. <laughs> Wish me luck. <laughs> this could be a mess, but, uh, yeah. All right. Cool. That's, I like this. I'm glad we had this little chat. This is excellent. See, I learned new things. This is how it goes. I like it. All right. Uh, we have some cool stuff found. We've got some questions. I think we're even going to get to some Wi-Fi stuff today, John. I'm very excited about uh, all kinds of stuff. The next thing that I would like to do, my friend is I want to talk about our first two sponsors. If, uh, if we're good with this particular thing, we're good. All right. Look, We're still spending a lot of time at home. We're still spending a lot of time doing those at-home projects, especially those of us that live in the northern climes where it's still a little chilly outside, although it's supposed to be getting warmer. That's at least what the, you know, over time. Anyway, uh, you've got some time on your hands to get those projects done that you want to get done. And most of your projects, because you're geeks like us, are going to involve a server. Where do you want to put your server do you want to put it in your house? Well, probably not, because as you scale up, even if you have like great hardware in your house, you don't have the great bandwidth and all that. And you also don't want to be managing a server. You don't want those headaches. You want our sponsor, the good people at Linode, to be managing your server, because it's super affordable to get started there. If you go to linode.com MGG, you can get started with their Nano server for just 5 bucks a month. But more than that, if you go to Linode.com slash MGG, you get $100 in free credit applied to your account, right? So that $5 server doesn't actually cost you anything for a good long while until either you run out of your free months, 5 to 100, you do the math, or you scale it up. Because, you, you know, you, you've put whatever you want on there, now you've got some users actually, you know, using it and all that stuff, and you want it to scale up, and that's the beauty of Linode, it just scales right up along with you. They've got 24-7, 365, human support, no tiers or anything, you just get people that can help you, and you can choose shared and dedicated compute instances, you, you, you do whatever you want. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Go to linode.com MGG and click on the Create Free Account button to get started. Our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. Next up is BB Edit. You know we love BB Edit. I have it running on my computer right now. I don't even have to look. I know it's running because I use it for all kinds of things. Yeah, sure. I use it for all the programming that I do, right? Like it and I do stuff in PHP and some JavaScript and you know CSS and HTML and that sort of thing. People use it, I know, for Python all the time, of course, C and all that stuff. It does great, but it also does great as just a text editor. And you can do all kinds of cool things in it like counting the characters in a document, comparing two documents. It does a great job at this. And, of course, bbEdit 13.1 has the run Unix command command, so you can do that inside bbEdit and get what you need done without actually having to leave the environment. You can have their grep cheat sheets in there and their grep playground, so you can learn more about regular expressions. Go get this. Right. You, you get it. You get the whole thing free for 30 days at barebones.com. And then after that, you either pay your 50 bucks if you want all the features or if you don't need all the features, you can keep using it for free. Go check it out. Barebones.com. or thanks to Barebones and BB Edit for sponsoring this episode. All right. Uh, let's go to cool stuff found here, John. Andrew has a uh, well, I had no idea about this. And uh, Andrew says, this is incredible tool, no matter how you use it. And it is called MDS or Mac deploy stick, not to be confused with MDS, the engine that runs uh, as part of Mac OS background, like spotlight indexing and that's that sort of thing. Uh, But what MDS does is it allows you to create. Deploy sticks, right, like customized usb sticks for installing deploying mac os one of the things it has in there is an easy way to download old mac os installers so they keep all the links up to date they keep everything and you can just slip them all down so this is a very cool thing i'll I'll of course put a link in the show notes because that's that's how we roll here but um but yeah i never i never knew about m this mds mac deploy stick mds did you john Uh, I thought I heard of it at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever used it? No. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, Let's see. And then David points out, I am primarily a Mac household with tons of Apple devices, but I do have some cross platform needs such as Linux, uh, Mint and Windows for those platforms. Uh, The way I tie things together is through Google Chrome. Apple now has an iCloud app to install on Windows, which also installs a plugin for Chrome to sync bookmarks. Well, that, actually, Apple has had that. He says, now Apple has an iCloud Keychain cross platform plugin for Mac, Windows, and Linux. Uh, he says, it doesn't work, but uh, I installed it on Chrome and Linux and it seems to work. Now, somebody in the chat room was saying that this plugin does not work on the Mac version of Chrome. So your mileage may vary from David's here, but it definitely works on he you know, he tested it on Windows and Linux so that you can which is great to be able to now if now you don't have to necessarily, you know, be a one password or last pass user if you just want to take your Apple uh logins and keychain and sync them around. So yeah, pretty good. That's pretty good. I'm uh, I'm I'm stoked to see Apple doing this kind of reminds me of the days that Apple you know when they when they first built um, iTunes from Windows right it's like oh yes things are change is a foot this is good I mean really at the end of my leg is also a foot so
0: I don't know mm-hmm. maybe
1: not ah, interesting yeah Brian Monroe at com confirms that it does not work for him on the Mac OS version of Chrome so thank you for that that's good I found out – oh, any thoughts on that, John, before we keep trucking along here? Trucking. Trucking. Uh, I, I found out, I heard about a thing called Here Here. Uh, it's uh, – I think somehow Kevin Costner is is involved in, in mm-hmm. supporting or, you know, building this app. But um, what Here Here does, it's an app for your iPhone, and it plays you – it uses your location. It's built for – Road tripping, which, of course, is probably something that uh, a lot of us are going to be doing for vacations this year as opposed to flying around, right? But um, it's built for when you're driving through different places, it will play you little audio clips to tell you about the different – some of the history, some of the cool places to see, but basically just telling you about the places that – That you're in or driving through and they've got things for, I would say maybe a quarter of the United States here, Arizona, California, Colorado, Idaho, Louisiana, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, Oklahoma, Oregon, Texas, Utah, Washington, and Wyoming. So I'm, I am, I have no doubt that I will find myself in at least one of those states because my son is currently in one of those states. So, uh, so yeah, that's pretty good. And um, they're saying they're going to have more than 10,000 stories throughout the U.S. Uh, before the summer. So that's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, they, 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 they say uh, things like, you know, I wonder how this town came to be. Who was that mountain peak named after? Questions like that. Just things that would be interesting to hear about while you're, you know, kind of trucking along. So I like it. I like the idea. I can't wait to test it out. But I, I thought, it was, you know, I thought it was cool. And so hence. Cool stuff found, right? Good?
0: Yeah, I'll have to try it. If if it moves as you go by a field with cows in it, then that, that would do it for me.
1: That's all you need is, uh, mm-hmm. okay. Now, if you were driving by a field, I'm going to get in trouble. If you were driving by a field with cows in it, would you be, how tempted would you be to stop and go tip one of those cows over?
0: Um... Don't believe what you see in the movies. Um from what I understand it's not easy and that gets them angry if you try.
1: Um I I can confirm that both of those things are true. Um th- there may or may not have been a field uh with a cow in it by which we may or may not have walked home from school as kids and um it's possible I've I've come upon this information firsthand. Yeah. It's it's like you really need a running start to tip over a cow, man. Like this is not—it's not, it's not yeah, a moment. I mean, those I'm things proud must, of. But. they must weigh like a ton or something. I don't know. I don't. Yes, Many hundreds of pounds. I would think, and and they're pretty steady on their feet. It turns out, you know. But mm-hmm. when yeah. there's a I mean, maybe will, maybe there's a, baby a way. Cow,
0: oh, maybe a baby cow, but that—that—that's that, just mean.
1: Yeah, that's not veal tipping, right? I told you I'm going to get myself in trouble. (laughs) Okay, uh, I spent too much time at the theater, and I'm punchy. Okay, uh, moving on. (laughs) Ralph, (laughs) Save us, Ralph. Ralph uh, says, "Mm, a candidate for Cool Stuff found. There are plenty of charging stations from which to choose. I did a search for comparisons and reviews and found uh, the seven-port charging station with USB-C by Satechi and vendor. He says the vendor claims the charging station is perfect for charging almost any device. Thanks to it's built in smart charging chipset and pre port surge protection. Uh, And he says, I have had the unit for about a month and no complaints. Uh, He says the charging station comes with a power cable and seven mini Velcro straps for coiling cables. It doesn't include the cables. So what this is, is, is it's one of these, uh, it almost looks like a file like a file organizer right where you know you would put files in it sort of standing up uh on your desk maybe you know in progress files or something like that but instead of putting files in it you're putting your phone or your iPads or maybe even your laptop in it and then it's got uh let's see it's got seven ports five of them are type A uh doing three of them are 5 volt and two of them are uh I'm guessing what he means to say they're all five volts. So three of them are one amp and two of them are 2.4 amps, so the faster charging on the type A. And then two of them are type C ports. One of them's 18 watts, which is great for an iPad. and one of them is 30 watts, which is actually enough to charge a laptop. Uh, laptops will take it. So you could put your you know your MacBook in there, you could put your, iPads and your phones and, you know, anything else you've got going and just stock them in. So I, you know, these, one of these things I've seen these, this is not the first of these, of course it's being, you know, perfected uh, and I've always seen them and thought, oh gosh, I would never want anything like that. And then after I read Ralph's email, I turned around and I looked on the couch in of my office and I have this mess of cables with like, th- cause I, at the theater I use two different iPads simultaneously. So I'm constantly, you know, bringing those home to charge uh, one of them with my, my music on it. One of them with my uh, like the mixer so that I can uh, control the audio mix that I hear in my ears. And, uh, and so I have those two and like my, an extra phone or something and my laptop and they're all just strewn out on the couch with cables dangling over the edge of the couch on onto this thing so that I can charge them. And I thought, you know, maybe I do want something like this. Maybe this is something that would be really handy for me to have, because as Ralph points out, the outcome is that the hairball of cables is gone. Um, he says, but there is a little bit of cable clutter in the device when things aren't being charged. But um, but yeah, there you go. So maybe maybe these folks are onto something. So thanks, Ralph. Cool. Do you have, have you ever had one of these things, John? You know what I'm talking about, right? If I describe it well enough. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I got one from, uh, and this is weird. (coughs) Uh, I got one from Ventev that, yeah, it's similar. So it has, you know, slots. um, It's all, it's just USB-A. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I got one that has, I think it has three USB-A ports. It has two 120 volt, which is kind of handy. And then it has slots for your tablet or, you know, other thin, uh, device sure sure yeah 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 it's just weird because i'm going to ventev and it
1: looks like something has changed with them okay it seemed to get a product list here i found i found your thing on amazon and i put that in the show notes just now so i mean feel free to change the link if you find it on ventev but but it's there i see what you're talking about that's actually kind of cool it's almost shaped like a big puck and then it's got Mm -hmm. your ports all over it Ah, that's another cool way of doing this yeah interesting Interesting. Interesting. Cool. Cool. All right. Moving on. Or are we still, uh, Mm we still here? Okay. Moving on. All right. So this really started as a question, but um, you know, as often happens, the question sort of buries the lead of something we didn't know about. And so Ari wrote in and he says, I've got a client uh, who I set up with a DS 14 eighteen play disc synology disc station a couple of years ago. It's loaded with four hard drives and he's currently using space on it. Uh, he says um, he has asked me to see what the most efficient setup is because to set up something called rune uh, because he is intrigued by the prospect of high fidelity audio. Is regarding Rune, I'm curious if you guys have any experience or thoughts about the service. From what I've heard on the show, I think you're in the camp that you can't really tell the difference with super high-end audio unless you have specific music you know well, a well-trained ear, and very high-end equipment, and even then, perhaps, it's negligible. It's so, But he wants to know, what's the best way to set up Rune? Should I put it on my existing NAS? Should I upgrade to a beefier NAS and put it on that? Should I run it on my iMac? Or should I buy Rune's Nucleus, which is like this $2,000 piece of hardware that runs it? And so my big question upon reading this was, what the heck is Rune? Because therein lies a cool stuff found. So Rune, John, is all of the things that you might infer from my description of Ari's question here. It is a service uh, that you run... Locally on a device that pulls all of it pulls your music library, and then uh, Title, if you use Title as a streaming service, and one other streaming service, presumably another high quality one. Title will do higher than sixteen forty four sound, and 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 I think that's what this other one does. But what Rune really does, so it's focused on the audiophile market because it is built to play audio at the highest quality that you have, uh, it will convert it to whatever your speaker or output device is, you know, the best your output device can support. It also lets you put an EQ in the chain. It essentially runs as a uh, digital signal processor. So you can, you can do some EQing, you can do some varying things that, that sort of fall in the realm of compression and things like that. Uh, but really what Rune does is it is I would call it an open source music playback engine because I was able to target with Rune my Sonos speakers via Sonos, not via Airplay necessarily, but also any Airplay speakers I have and also the speakers on my on my Mac and or the speakers on my iPhone. There's Rune apps for the Mac. So you run a server in one place, and and like we've pointed out, you can do it on your NAS, you can do it on your Mac, or you can do it on a dedicated piece of hardware to do this. And the server pulls together all of your music, uh, indexes the catalog, makes sure it pulls down like album artwork, but also just pictures of the artist in question, pulls down all of your lyrics, and then sort of goes through your house and finds all of the speakers that it finds on the network and asks which ones do you want to have involved in Rune and then you've got it'll do multi room playback and it'll coordinate all of that so it's like it's the back end that's that's, you know to use the the meme of the week that's quarterbacking the whole environment of your music and it's pretty cool it's not cheap it costs 10 bucks a month I think somewhere in that realm and but I I tested it out. As soon as I saw Ari's email, I was like, well, I need to know about this. So I spent 30 minutes and set up Rune on my Synology. And I think most, for what most of us would have in terms of music collections, most Synology disk stations would do fine. They, of course, recommend super high, you know, that you need a, a high-end CPU. And that would be true if you're going to start doing a lot of signal processing, uh, you know, EQing. But that part of it was kind of nice, but I, I could do it on mine and it was using very, very little CPU. Uh, I was doing it on my DS-1520+, and it was hard to tell at the time because Rune was also indexing my entire library. So it was doing a lot, but looking at the CPU usage, but even, but doing a lot meant playing back on two sets of speakers and indexing was using like 30% of the CPU. If I stopped playing things back, it dropped down to maybe 22% of the CPU. So somewhere in that 5 to 10% of the CPU range to play back simultaneously on two devices with an EQ in the chain, you can do the math. Um, but it was really nice because I've got two old, non-compatible with the latest Sonos stuff, Sonos Play 5s in my office, and I was able to target those and multi-room to those as well as newer Sonos speakers at the same time. But what was really nice was that I could finally have a parametric EQ to control the EQ of my Sonos speakers the way I would like to, because Sonos, despite the fact that I've tried to buy Giles Martin, like many drinks, he will not tell me how to do this on my own. Now, finally with Rune, I can do it. I was able to like tweak the low end and get it right where I want for the room. And it sounds great. So, this is pretty cool. Um, I, you know, will I keep my Rune subscription? I don't know. Um, I it, Like, it probably not because asking my family to start playing back things with a different app than the one that they're used to might get me into a lot of trouble. Uh, but it's a pretty cool thing. I, I don't know. I'm going to mess with it. So anyway, that's that's a very long, perhaps the longest cool stuff found we've ever done. I don't know. Two long ones, right? The Satechi one went long too. I don't know. I like it. It's good. Had you ever heard about Rune before, John? No. Hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating to me that, that like somebody pull it, it it, obviously it's technically possible because I used it. Somebody did it. What impresses me is that someone spent the time to build this very sort of specific. I mean, it's, it's, I would call this on the level of Plex in terms of just how well it worked for me. Uh, Your mileage may vary, of course, but really robust, fairly easy to use product. I mean, from hearing about it to having it running flawlessly was less than 30 minutes for me. I know I'm a geek, but, you know, it's I mean, it's just not that difficult to pull together. Uh, It is Rune, R O O N is the uh it's rune labs ronlabs.com there's a link in the show notes and uh it was pretty easy to pull together but it's really robust for something like I don't know how many like how what's their target market like if they got every customer that would be interested in this to pay them how many people is that is I don't is it in the millions I don't think so you know but but clearly they've put the work in so I think it's great I don't know how long it's been around it just like blew me away so anyway Pretty cool. It's pretty cool. What else? Yeah, anything else, John, on the cool stuff found list? Nope. Okay. All right. Uh, well, I want to, I, I want to get to these questions. I want to hopefully get to some Wi-Fi stuff. I also want to talk about our next two sponsors. If that's, uh, if that's okay with you, dandy. All right. Hey, if you're like me, you're always looking for the next thing to entertain you, right? You're listening to this episode now, right? But what are you going to do after you finish this? Well, we've got you. Visit audible.com slash MGG and sign up for this service. Because with their President's Day's event, it's only $9.95 a month for your first six months. And with that, you get one title a month From their premium selection, which means the latest bestseller, the hottest, buzziest new release, whatever it might be that you want, you get plus access to their thousands and thousands of things in their plus catalog. Ready Player Two. That's the book I would go after right now, narrated by Will Wheaton. Of course, if you haven't heard Ready Player One yet... Go listen to that. That's also inaudible. Also narrated by Will Wheaton, and he, I listened to that one. He did a fantastic job. It was so good. Uh I, I've decided I wanted like the next this next one, Ready Player Two. I just want to listen to him read it to me. I don't want to read it to myself. It, it like he does he does a, such a killer job. You have got to go check it out. You could also check out Ender's Game. Right, that's fantastic. Great stories. And you can have them read to you by people that really know what they're doing and really are engaging with all of this stuff. And then, of course, that's only only a slice of the catalog here. You can look, like I said, thousands and thousands of things. And as I said, right now, with their President's Day event, $9.95 a month for your first six months. Audible.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Audible for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Sunbasket. Look, getting dinner on the table quickly does not have to mean sacrificing nutrition and quality. And with Sunbasket, you can actually have it all every single day. It is frustrating sometimes to think like, oh, I'm, you know, long day. I just was on like six Zooms. I'm sort of beat. Now I have to think about what I'm going to have for dinner and then make it. Well, Sun Baskets got you, right? Because you go and select your menu and then you order it and all the ingredients are right there. They've got instructions that are really fun to follow. It really makes it so that, you know, you're just kind of doing these things and following this stuff. And now suddenly you've cooked a fantastic meal or... If you don't want to do that, their fresh and ready meals are just eight ninety nine. So they're good for your body and your budget. These things are literally just take them out and heat them up, and they're delicious, fantastic things like Indian coconut curry with pan seared sole, tomatoes and fresh basil, Greek beef skewers with arugula, pear salad and hazelnuts, turkey bolognese over zucchini and carrot ribbons. I, like I gotta, I gotta go because I gotta go. I'm hungry now. Go check it out because right now Sunbasket is offering thirty five bucks off your order when you go to sunbasket.com slash mgg and enter promo code mgg at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash mgg with promo code mgg at checkout for thirty five bucks off your order. sunbasket.com slash mgg promo code mgg and our thanks to Sunbasket for making me hungry and for sponsoring this episode. All right. Uh, But before I go eat, John, let's answer some questions. Let's go to Paul here. Paul asks, uh, he says, um, being inside for a year, I have a nagging need to upgrade. But I think you mentioned you're still using your Intel Macs, as I am with my MacBook Pro. He says, uh, 2015 and a 2017 iMac. He says, I'm no longer doing any coding, but only using apps. Do you think I would gain much? if i bought an m1 macbook uh, so you know here's the deal i have i i have uh, this show we're doing on an intel uh, imac the uh, 2019 core i9 whatever it is the 8 core deal and then in my office i still have my old 2014 imac which i'm hoping to upgrade this year to an m1 uh, as soon as there's an m1 imac to be had and then i have my m1 air and i i, I mean they all work fine for me. The M1 Air is, despite this being an 8-core uh, iMac in front of me, the M1 Air is absolutely the fastest Mac that I own, which is crazy. Uh, and, I mean, yes, you would gain something. You would gain the the speed of the M1, the the wake-up time, like all of that stuff you would absolutely gain. And it's it's going to be faster than your 2015 MacBook Pro, For sure. That that would be true if you bought a 2020 MacBook Pro regardless. Right. But uh, but the M1 is is. Yeah. I I mean, do you need to do it? It doesn't sound like you need to do it. You're having the nagging that you want to do it. But that's also an okay reason to do it. Right. So, I, I mean, yes, you will see a gain from it, even though you're not like doing any CPU intensive coding or anything like that. It is a much it's just a different experience—the way apps launch, the way things just run. It's it it is fast. It is a faster macOS experience than running macOS on Intel, uh, in a lot of different ways. So so yes, I think you will see a difference for sure. I notice it when I go grab my you know my wife's Air, which was my Air that I had no complaints about, and it's like oh right, things are just there's a lag that that exists with the Intel. Thing that, that just doesn't on, on M1. And it's because think about how the iPad is, right? You just, you know, you wake it up, you use it, you're moving between apps. There's a lot of efficiencies that have happened there that now we get to have on the Mac. So, so yeah, it, I think, I think so. Um, if you had a 2019, you know, if you had just bought a Mac a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I don't know that I'd say you need to upgrade, but five years ago. But even that, though, you would notice a difference. No, no question. But certainly, like, yeah, I think so. I don't know. I, what, what do you, John? You bought a Mac a year ago. I know you're not somebody that upgrades, you know, regularly. And and like new shiny doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, always catch your interest. But like, what are your window, thoughts? Uh, my renew or upgrade window
0: is about. Five to
1: seven
0: years hmm okay um the oldest machine I have is a 2018 mini, which I'm using to do the podcast and the audio work and it seems to I mean it was definitely a, a upgrade from the the last one, which was a core two duo, and sure. that one was second wind I mean it was it was struggling to right do a lot of things right of course whereas yeah I mean it was the first generation core two duo whereas right. this is, I think, an 8-core or something like that. Probably
1: or a 6-core, like I think, is what you got, right? Isn't that right? Is uh, it?
0: Let's see. No, you're right. Yeah, 3.2 gigahertz, 6-core, yeah. which uh, is yeah. fine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it, let me ask this question differently. What are your, As someone who just bought a MacBook Pro last year, um, top-of-the-line mm-hmm. MacBook Pro last year, what are your thoughts on m1 like is there any part of you that thinks okay well i it you know i want to upgrade to m1 now even though you're not going to like are there any thoughts of like i want to upgrade to m1 now or man when that you know 16 inch m1 comes out i wonder should i like is that are, are those thoughts do those thoughts swim through your head no okay that's not surprising to me i mean just no, knowing, it does, knowing you uh, as i do
0: yeah. the the yeah, the urge to upgrade comes when the performance of the machine starts suffering. Okay. And right now I'm not seeing that on either machine. Right. You may someday.
1: Uh, of course. I'm sure you will. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. <clears throat>
0: You know, I mean, OSs and apps, you know, eventually, uh, you know, grow to consume all resources, right? I mean, that's just... just. <laughs> I think
1: that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's there's As your a wisdom computer
0: engineer, today. that has been my observation. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it, it, it is. is? That, um, it's true. Yeah.
0: <laughs> consume all resources. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just easier. You can either program elegantly or you can just, you know... Just hog hog all the RAM and, and all the hard drive.
1: <laughs> well, that you know that was true, but with with everything <laughs> being developed for mobile first and having to like the the battery yes. constraints stopped that practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think because you're right. Like when it was just desktop machines and like heat and power consumption didn't matter, it got ugly mm-hmm. there for a little while. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not necessarily yeah. a bad thing. Like you know, we we were able to push the envelope forward, but then suddenly it's like now you've got to deal with a battery. So figure it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. you got to be mm-hmm. a better programmer again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah, I am. My reason for wanting to upgrade is that I'm you know I'm past my own upgrade window, right? Like my iMac downstairs is almost going to be seven years old. Uh, it doesn't owe me anything. But I really would like it to hold out until there's an M1 iMac, and and then my plan is to put whatever that M1 or M2, you know, whatever the the Apple Silicon based iMac here in the studio, and then roll this the 2019 iMac back down to the office, and and then I don't know what I'll do with the with the 2014 mm-hmm. iMac. Like I said, it doesn't owe me anything, but I'm sure I'll find a use, a home for it for me or for somebody else. But yeah. Yep. All right. Cool. Yeah. So I, for Paul, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the M1 would be the way to go. I think you'd like it. Uh, I mean, uh, it's, it it has blown me away. It redefines, you know, again, like my Air is, the Air in general is a low end computer, right? In Apple's product lineup. The, the, even the, the, the MacBook Pro that the M1 MacBook Pro replaces is the low end MacBook Mm. Pro. But these computers are not low-end computers. They're faster than anything else most of us own. So it's a weird Mm -hmm. shift. And I can't wait for the day when they are actually low-end because there's some other Apple Silicon Mac that blows them away. And that's what I'm hoping for here in the studio. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you want to take us to Rand, John? Yes.
0: All right. Rand says, I have a Drobo Mini that has been working fine for years, but I am running up against its limited capacity, Mm. which appears to be eight terabytes, I think he said. Um, I'm thinking that I should grow my capacity. I like the mini form factor um, and I've had excellent experience with two and a half inch hard disk drives with a small M cache to speed things up. So I guess they have a, a RAM cache in that unit. Yep. I am attracted by the Synology DS620 Slim, which has six bays and a similar small form factor. I'm interested both in transfer speeds and data redundancy. I read in some chats that mixing an SSD with HDD is a waste of money because the speed of the slowest drive uh, affects transfer speeds. Um, putting in an SSD cache in my mini sped things up a lot. What would you advise regarding to populating the DS620 Slim with at least one SSD plus a RAID or other array of hard disk drives? Um, so what I did is, uh, I found an article and I must have fumble fingered it because, um, uh, the article is which Synology NAS models support SSD cache. And I didn't find that one. Um, but then I did another search because I was going to follow up, uh, regarding something else. Um, and that unit does support an SSD cache in the form of a two and a half inch SSD, which is all that it has. Um, some synologies have an NVMe one of mine does. And what, one of my synologies I do the SSD cache with NVMe and actually two of them. Yeah. And then the other one I have a two and a half inch, um, SSD.
1: Oh, that you just put in one um, of the full-size bays.
0: Yep. Right. And both those units and the one that he wants to get both support SSD cache. Um, as far as mixing, so I would say yeah, look at that one. And also I looked at the uh, capacity and I think it can hold like up to like 18 terabytes or some crazy or 30 terabytes up to 30 terabytes capacity. Yeah. So that's good, so that's more than uh, he can do now. Um, as far as the relative throughput, I mean, they advertise um, so look at the data sheets for the drives you want to put in there. Um, so this one, I haven't I, I'll have to do a benchmark. The thing is, they um, claim that you, you should be able to get about 200 megabytes a second um, hmm. throughput with this unit which, uh, I believe, I and if believe you that. look at the, and if you look at the spec sheets for both, like, for example, I looked at the spec sheet for the Ironwolf wolf, uh, drive and they claim about that same level of throughput, um, from the platter to the SATA three interface. Okay. So look at the specs for the drive that you put in there. Some drives um may advertise that they're SATA three, which is six gigabits per second, but the platter to interface speed, uh you know, like we we talked about some drive manufacturers uh pulling a fast one and using a different encoding technology, which really slows it down. So um look at the specs for the drives. Um there's also depending on how you lay out a raid especially for reading and i think it's mirroring if you do mirror if mirroring is part of your raid scheme and i don't know if synology hybrid raid kind of mirrors i think it does to some level depending on how many drives you have you'll see throughput between the slowest drive and the fastest drive because it kind of munges them all together.
1: Yeah. I, I, I SHR is not mirroring. I mean, it can be, if you only have mirroring really only makes sense with two drives, right? Because if you have more than two, right. it, you're not, but SHR, I mean, SHR is similar to a raid five ish. Um, it's mm-hmm. a little more flexible than raid five because you can have mixed size drives, but um, SHR uses striping, Which I thought was faster than mirroring because mirroring uh, only has two drives to pull from, whereas striping can put the bands across, you know, five drives or more, depending on how many drives you've got in the device. And now you're able to read from all of them. So I remember even when I had super slow drives in my NAS, as long as I had, you know, four or five drives in there. I could easily push past the you know gigabit ethernet speeds because it was reading across all the drives simultaneously. So I don't know that I'd go for this DS620 slim, John. And and here's why. I don't know why you'd want to limit yourself to only being able to use 2.5-inch drives. Every Synology that exists supports 2.5-inch drives. The non-slim models also support 3.5 inch full size drives. This one does not support an M2 SSD. John, the 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 slim doesn't. Um, you can you can put an SSD in one of the regular bays and have that used as an SSD cache. But it's not going to be as fast as the M.2 SSD that you can do in some of the other units. So, so I, maybe that's what he was saying when he said it didn't support an SSD cache. It doesn't support a dedicated one, uh, dedicated hardware cache. Uh, I, yeah, I, would, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't, unless you're, unless you're planning on filling the thing with only SSDs, I would not go with this slim uh, I think that's what these are built for is to be used with SSDs because SSDs are those two-and-a-half-inch form factors. You can put two-and-a-half-inch spindle drives in there, but most of those mm-hmm. are super slow. So, um, so yes. I would... Right? You know, so it, I, I don't... But you can put all of that and then also three-and-a-half-inch spindle drives in in a different Synology. So, yeah, I'm not... I don't know that I like this slim, and it's also got... A slower CPU. It's got the the on 3355 where it's going with something mm. like the 920 plus or the 1520 plus as the 4125. That's a four-core CPU as opposed to a two-core CPU. I will take Synology has a great NAS compare comparison tool. I don't know, whatever we call it. Um, I will compare this 620 Slim with a 1520 plus and a 920 plus so that you can kind of see um uh, how that works. So uh but yeah, I'm not. I don't know that I'd, I'd I'd be too happy with one of these slim things. It just seems very limiting, unless you know exactly what you're going to do with it. And again, from uh, from his from his description, it sounds like what he wants to do with it, it the 620 slim isn't the right thing. I think so. Anyway, the, use Synology's comparison thing. They've really got you know. It makes it easy to see what the you know where the features are, what they have, what they don't have. So, but, uh, but yeah, 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 yeah. You have you have the nine twenty plus, is that right, John, or am I, I have that wrong? Uh, I think I got. uh, Let's
0: see, I got a nine eighteen and a sixteen eighteen. Okay. Yes, and then I have uh, a couple that i decommissioned well right yeah of course uh older yeah yeah yeah. well what did what did i have i had a 713 i think was the first one that they set me up with and then i got an expansion bay which is a nice feature that's right um yep yep
1: cool
0: cool all right yeah i'm 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 happy with both of these and and they both have uh caching uh, Mm -hmm. of one form or another so so yeah i think i'm with you Uh, well it looks a bit uh Unless you absolutely need to save space, dust space, um, and,
1: and I'm not sure how much I, yeah, you would I think save it, either. <laughs> like it doesn't look mm-hmm. like you're saving much. I could I could be visually reading it wrong, but it doesn't look like it's super mm-hmm. compact. Like that Drobo one was like like flat, like a pancake kind of thing. So that was sort of cool. But I mean, not like a pancake, unless you make really thick pancakes. But it was you know flatter than the others. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Speaking of food, Gary has a tale of woe. Gary says, my stepmom has had her iPhone 6 or 6S for a few years now. The other day, my brother had a container of Mountain Dew sitting on the side, sitting on the divider in our living room. And my stepmom was trying to organize her purse when, whoops, it spilled and saturated Her purse, yesterday she made a call to someone and either they couldn't hear her or she couldn't hear them. So I asked her if she thought her phone may have gotten hit. Uh, And at first she thought it didn't, but later she realized it had. It won't ring. It won't do things. Uh, She says, uh, uh, given that the phone is so old, I doubt that Verizon nor our local Apple stores will have any uh, replacements in stock. She asked if I could open it up and try it out. And I told her it's nothing that can be done in two minutes. so she said she'd have my dad open it when he got home. Uh, at the time of this writing, I would have to say it's been 24 hours or more since this happened. So I doubt that even the bag of rice trick would work. She's not a heavy user and has only a handful of apps and still mostly uses the landline. Would you say that the iPhone SE 2020 would meet her needs? If not, what would you recommend? So lots of things to process here. First of all, the rice trick. Which is have a bag of rice uh, at the ready and put your uh, like a Ziploc bag so that it's relatively airtight and you put your phone in it and close the bag up. This rice is a great uh, essentially acts as a desiccant sort of it. It pulls the moisture out of the air and the device that's surrounding it. So in a Ziploc bag, the rice will absorb all moisture and it will it truly will dry out your phone. We've used this with great success over the years with water damage. Unfortunately, what we're talking about here is more than water. We have sugar involved and sugar and electronics tends not to end. Well, it gets sticky. It coats things. Cleaning that out becomes near impossible because you don't want to add water. Yeah, you might like there's a world where you could get like, high octane isopropyl alcohol and like clean your phone with that. But like you're really heading down a path of where you're just going to possibly make it worse than better. So the rice trick does work. I've had it where even when we put it in rice hours later, it still dries the phone out and has been mostly fine. But I think with this one, the sugar is, is your, is going to be the thing that gets you maybe drink diet. Do Uh, have your brother drink diet. Do in the future. And then you won't have Mm -hmm. sugar and maybe you'll be okay. Uh, Coke, Diet Coke still has, what, phosphoric acid in it, though, and that'll chew up electronics real fast as well mm. as your stomach. Um, so...
0: Yeah, I had a mishap, yeah, uh, yeah another liquid, um, uh, I, like, uh, Dogfish Head makes some, uh, what I'll call high-octane beers, um, and yeah, those also... Uh, I, I had one of those encounter... Yeah. I had those uh, encounter a keyboard once, and uh, yeah. yep, that's uh, that was the end of the keyboard. I, I replaced the keyboard, um, yeah. and things got a little better. But um,
1: yeah, yeah, dogfish head beer. I mean, most beer has sugar of some form, like unconverted mm-hmm. sugar of some form or another. I mean, obviously it's got alcohol in it, which right. is sugar, but um, but dogfish head adds sugar. Like they, I think they use molasses. I don't know, whatever it is. It, yeah, it, mm-hmm. if it's water, the bag of rice would would be my recommendation. Anything more than water? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Um, as far as replacing it, I, certainly I think the SE 2020 would be a good phone for her. It You know, it's up. it would be an upgrade. It would be very similar to what she had. But I will point out that the 12 Mini is both smaller in form and bigger in screen than the SE 2020. Mm-hmm. So, I, like... It might just be time to jump your mom out of team home button and into you know the the world of of full screen phones, so think about that. there you go. Um, right. Yep. And from what I recall, Dave,
0: I think the seven, although it didn't advertise it being so, was waterproof. I think I saw videos of people dunk it in water and it would not it would still function, yeah. And then I think the eight is the first phone that they said explicitly was water resistant. Um, and I assume every phone past that one is also water resistant. So yeah, Correct. Get, uh, getting something newer. Um, uh, no, I'm not sure if soda would, uh, I'm, I'm not going to um, find out. Um, soda. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I want to dunk, I don't know if I want to dunk my 12 in uh soda, at least not for too long.
1: But Yeah. Well, the, the, the place where I would be most concerned would be the, the lightning connector and the, the speaker slash microphone ports. I mean, they're all sealed. And so mm-hmm. theoretically things won't get in, like get, won't get further than those, but the sugar mm-hmm. will coat all of those things and gum up the works like you yeah. might not get a lightning cable to connect. Right. Your sound might be munged. So like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah. It, like, it, but I think you're right that the seven was the first one that unofficially was sealed and, and survived the third party dunk tests. And and like you said, the eight starting with the eight, they said they acknowledged it. So, yeah. All right. Uh, so yeah, Mountain Dew versus iPhone. I think we know who the winner is. Mm-hmm. I think we knew who the winner was before we asked the question. Yep. Um, All right. Last episode, I had a little uh, thing where I mentioned the song Come Together, the Beatles song. And uh, because I actually I think you you said the term. I don't know how we got on the subject, John. It was one of those weird little tangents. But um, but uh, I mentioned that Come Together was the uh, the campaign song for someone. And listener Bruce came up with the answer. Bruce, of course, said he heard it on Wikipedia or read it on Wikipedia. But uh, that's John Lennon singing the lyrics to his uh, campaign song for none other than Timothy Leary. John, believe it or not, Timothy Leary. Asked Lennon to write a song for his campaign for governor of California against Ronald Reagan, uh, which ended very, very quickly when uh, he was sent to prison for possession of cannabis. Uh, I, uh, and uh, he tried to flee to Mexico, I think, but it, it didn't didn't work. So uh, as John Lennon says according to Wikipedia. The thing was created in the studio. It's gobbledygook. Come together was an expression that Leary had come up with for his attempt at being president or whatever he wanted to be. And he asked me to write a campaign song. He says, I tried and tried, but I couldn't come up with one. But I came up with this. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Fun. So nice job, Bill. Uh, sorry. Nice job, Bruce. Sorry. Uh, had a Bill.
0: Yeah, Didn't Timothy also... Uh Do a lot of traveling. Uh, I think he went on a lot of trips.
1: He took a lot of a lot of Harvard students on trips too. And when it well, which was fine as long as they were grad students, but but when they found out they were Mm. undergrads that were part of his psilocybin experiments, that's Mm. when I think he and Ram Dass, right, Um, uh, uh, Richard Alpert before he became Ram Dass, where they are doing that stuff, uh, those experiments together. I mean, important work, kids. I, right. Really mm-hmm. important work. Like the, you know, we're, we're finally seeing the, um, the, the therapeutic benefits of that being acknowledged, um, in the, in the scientific community, um,
0: mm-hmm. which is oh, great. Yeah. I've seen, uh, yeah. It, treating PTSD and, and things like that. Anxiety, yeah. depression. Believe it or not. It, it, yeah.
1: Yeah. The first, the, the 12, now we're on a real tangent, but, um, <laughs> The 12 step program for alcoholism was created by someone I can't remember his name, but his, there was 13 steps when he originally created it. And the first step, which has since been deleted from the program, was uh, an LSD trip. Um, uh, you know, that well, that, that's what helped him change his mind. And when you add that back in the, the like AA success rate goes from like 40% to 80%, but I digress. There's a great book I recommend by Michael Pollan called how to change your mind. Uh, and I will put that in there. So, uh, it's, I, th- I think it's imp- really important stuff, especially with, I, you know, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about, um, mental illness and, and bipolar and all that stuff. Cause the show that I mentioned I'm doing called next to normal is really about that. And it's, it's a shame that we are still in the, um, in the, in the world of, of like treating it in in ways that is largely unproductive. uh but yeah, Prozac would not exist without LSD, believe it or not. In fact, before LSD was discovered, um, the there was no work in the pharmaceutical community to develop any drugs that would change your mood because they didn't think it was possible until LSD opened that door. So there you go, anyway. We digress, but I'll put a link to How to Change Your Mind in there. It's a fantastic book, and Michael Pollan is, uh, I mean, I think he's done, what, eight New York Times bestsellers or something, excellent author, really researches his stuff, and, and that particular book is no, no different. All right, moving on, shall we? Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. All right, uh, GW asks the important questions. Could you guys discuss the difference on iPhone between using the regular site or doing the request desktop version. He says, I was on Southwest airlines website and I couldn't see some information, but when I called and they told me to use the desktop version, then I could see the information I wanted. Right. So um, it is, there are many different ways of coding websites Uh, and it is possible as a web developer To build sites that are specifically targeted for mobile users and then different versions that are specifically targeted for um, for uh, desktop, you know, and 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 a lot of times this makes great sense. And depending on how it's done, sometimes on the iPhone, you can tell it, I want to see the desktop version of this site, not the mobile version and the way that you do that with iOS, I believe this new one started in fourteen, uh, but whatever in, in in maybe it was thirteen. But anyway, in iOS fourteen, uh, you tap the little in the upper left or the left side of the URL bar. There is the uh, it looks like well it is two A's, a small A and a large A, where you can set the zoom of the page. But in that menu that drops down there is request desktop website. So you can, you can type that there, you can tap that there, and then it will send a request through as though it is Safari on desktop, not identifying itself as Safari on mobile. Now, I will tell you if it's a website, and Mac Observer is a great example, that uses what's called responsive design where it doesn't matter what platform you're on, what matters is the width or potentially height of your browser window. Generally, it's done based on width. Then requesting the desktop site versus the mobile site won't change anything because the width of your browser hasn't changed. Uh, So know that that there is that. But if the developer has said, ah, if I see that you are requesting from a mobile device, I'm going to give you one version – Whereas versus if I see you requesting from a desktop device, you're going to get another, then that will work. And Southwest um, is a great example of that, but that's, that's why that exists. That's how it works. And that's why sometimes it doesn't work. Any, any thoughts on that, John?
0: Oh yeah. I, I see every now and then I'll see this in that I'll get an email that has a link in it on my phone. And when I click on the link, the page comes up and, uh, they're using, like, you know, FlySpec 3 for the font. And I'm like, oh, they they, they don't realize I'm on a phone. Mm. So right. to solve that, you know, maybe request the desktop site. Or usually I'll just pinch and zoom to make the letters, you know, legible. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Right. No, that's, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Pinch to zoom will take care of it, too. But you can also, in that same menu, you can crank up the font size, right? Like, that's what those, yes, that's yes. what the A's are there for. So you can... Yeah, you can crank those, mm-hmm. it, it, and that that I found <laughs> works really well. When, as you said, you're stuck with flyspec three, I like that. That's good. All right, you want to take us to cure it, John? Why not? Uh, hold on. We are holding,
0: holding pattern. All right. Now I got to bring it up in mail because the color of the letters is. Oh, our, our Ever nice the, evernote, evernote thing
1: know. is is Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: His, yeah, his it's one. it's in bright green, which is hard to read. Hard so, to read. Um yeah. <clears throat> Did you find it. All right. So Carrot says, yes, yes. Uh by now you must have known that Big Sur uh one does not allow SD cards to mount in the Finder. It is there, but you have to find it by the finder preferences and clicking external CD, etc., and mount on desktop, then eject it after using. Most of us do not like the clutter and we like to see the finder, which this does not happen. If you change the name to something like Sony from untitled, then then it mounts. But if you do every time you reformat the card in the camera, which is every time it becomes untitled and invisible again. Any thoughts? Um, yes. so one i was unable to reproduce this behavior <clears throat> um and that when i insert my camera's sd card into my anchor dock uh, i got a couple of different docks uh plugged in my macbook pro 16 inch after a moment no name appears in the location sidebar on the desktop and on the desktop and if i click on my computer jb macbook pro in the sidebar no name is also listed hmm. um and then i asked if he, no, no so um uh let's see so he has the the yeah he has the same machine that i do and he has a CalDigit digit doc um and then we concluded that was not it so here's so i think what, what solved the problem for him is that i think some options changed in um uh so if you go to the finder dave there's yeah. um finder preferences general Okay. Um and there's external disks. So I think that, so that's one place where you can say, "Hey, have this thing show up." Right. Um uh and I th- and then there's also another one. Um uh let's see. Also in preferences, there's sidebar locations and I also see it there. So, so the th- th- there are a couple of of settings in the Finder preferences um for the sidebar and for just general, where if you don't have a certain box checked, you will not see an SD card being mounted. Interesting.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. General and then sidebar would be the two places to look. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um but uh
0: but but I
1: think what he's doing
0: also now is that um it will always show up under your machine. So I think that's the uh, the route he's taking here. The thing is I knew it mounted. How do you think I knew how that, that the card mounted, Dave? Well, that's because Hardware Growler tells me that no name is mounted. So
1: and I hard, knew that wasn't the problem. Hardware Growler still works on Big Sur, is that right? Mhm. Okay, oh, cuz yeah. Hardware Growler has been um discontinued, right? Uh, the, it's no longer going to
0: be updated. I think. Right, right. But yeah, it works exactly. fine under. But it works under Big Sur. It may it not work on okay. um, future sure. versions. Sure. Um, but that's another tool. Um, if you want to see what is being mounted or unmounted, um, whether it be a memory card or a network volume. Yeah. Um, I I find it useful for that.
1: Nice. Cool. All right, you want to take us to Bruce? I don't think we're going to make it to Wi-Fi today, but we've got we've got two other questions I think we can get through. And then and then I will put Wi-Fi front and center for next week's show because we've got a lot of stuff to go through there. Good stuff. Yeah. All right. So here's another one where I
0: couldn't reproduce the problem. Um, So Bruce says a client of mine noticed recently that any files on their internal drive whose file title starts with a zero will not get backed up in time machine. They use this file naming convention to have those files sort to the top of their list. Okay. Um, removing the zero from the beginning of the file title then has Time Machine back up their file properly. Um, so I guess you could just not do that, but um, <laughs> I do Um I've been able to find any articles that talk about this or any other forbidden initial characters and file titles for Time Machine. What do you know about this? I know much about this (laughs) as you're going to see in a moment here. So um, I was able to find any article indicating that um, there are any forbidden characters in a file that you want to be, Backed up to time machine. Um, however, time machine does have an exclusion list, which you may not know about Dave or yeah, I think
1: you do. I, I only um, know about it because you told me about it this morning. So I, I this mm-hmm. is, I, I get to count this as one of my five new things because wow. I learned it because of the show. So there you go.
0: So, um, so yeah, so I created a file, began with zero, backed it up file to my time machine installation. So, um, but again there is an exclusion list um a list of files that time machine will not back up um, is located in system library Course services backupd.bundle contents resources std uh which i am pretty sure means standard uh standard exclusions.plist
1: so you don't have to remember that folks i i pasted it into the show notes uh, yeah. for you yeah
0: <laughs> Um, But yeah, that's a list of files that uh, Apple thinks Time Machine doesn't need to back up. So maybe somebody's playing a trick on you or maybe someone or something edited that file. Is the best guess I have.
1: Hmm. Yeah, That's a fascinating file to look through regardless, just to know what it's not going to do. Mobile or dot mobile backups dot trashes desktop DB, backup stop, backup DB, right? So time machine stuff doesn't get backed up again. Really smart. <laughs> uh, it, seriously, like the, you can look through this list and see, oh, this is eh, somebody did some thinking and or somebody ran into a problem and then added it to the list. A lot of things in private VAR so that you're not backing up like your virtual memory files. It doesn't back up caches yeah. or logs. Like it, it's a fascinating file to look through. Mails, interestingly, Mails Envelope Index is not included in backups, which means if you were hmm. to restore all of mail from time machine, it would reindex it, which honestly is really smart. It's data that can be recreated. It does take a little time, but if part of the reason that you like wiped and restored was because you were having a problem like that might help. So yeah. Fascinating. That's good. Great. All right.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. In other news, I, Yeah, I actually was having um, difficulties with my time machine from my
1: MacBook Pro. Okay.
0: My Synology. Yep. So um, it was always kind of weird. Um, So I decided now with, you know, a dot upgrade of uh, Big Sur, hey, maybe recreate it again. And they must have fixed something that was odd with my system before it would report it, it would not report the amount of data available out of... Uh, so I allocate, I think, four terabytes okay. uh, for my time machine. Yep. Um, which is, I have, you know, one terabyte uh, SSD um, almost full. So I've, you know, that that's my guideline. Uh, some people will multiply it by two. Sure. I decided to do it by four since I have way... <laughs> I have... Almost too much free space,
1: <laughs> right? Right, right, <laughs> on right. my
0: Synologies. Um, but this time around, when I recreated the time machine backup, um, I think the last time I did it, it reported that there was a problem with it, but this time around, I figured, you know what, let me let me give it another go because it, it was acting weird. Yeah, it now reports it, it now sees the, the four terabyte uh quota that I allocated now, nice. so it's reporting it correctly. Oh, so that's good. Something. That wasn't work. It wasn't working quite right, and may have been corrupting the backups. Uh, yeah, looks to be better.
1: So interesting. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, I mean, that's sort of the point of the updates, right? Is, is they fix these things. So now I just mm-hmm. got to figure out how to get my laptop back to eleven one, so I can put it on eleven two and not eleven three. I need it anyway. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what I'll do while watching the Super Bowl today, because uh, we record mm-hmm. this on Sundays. All right, uh, one last question from Mike. He says, I want to remove an app from my Mac, or if I want to remove an app from my Mac, Apple and others' advice is to simply drag the app icon to the trash, but this does not seem to remove all the associated files, taking up storage space. My Air only has 256 gigs. A third-party app seems to be able to do this, Uh, but all of them need full disk access since I'm not a developer or know who to trust. I don't know if giving someone full access is a good idea. Do you guys have a recommendation for cleaning things out? Uh, I prefer not to install a third party app. Is there a terminal command that will delete apps and their associated files? So uh, the answer is that this is not a simple issue because Apple doesn't track what files an app creates, right? So it doesn't know that the, you know, this specific folder in, you know, user library application support was created by that specific app that you're deleting. So Apple stays out of this game. And no, there is no terminal command to just magically fix this, at least none that I know of. If you know of one, please, feedback at MacGeekab.com. Let us know because this is important information, don't you think, John?
0: Um, Yes, and it's important that you pay attention when Dave says
1: feedback at MacGeekApp.com. Yeah, please, feedback at MacGeekApp.com. So let us know. Um, I th- There are a couple apps that I use to keep Cruft off my computer. The first is is Hazel. Uh, Hazel front and center is an automation app that basically watches folders and then does things. So, for example, I have a Hazel rule on my podcast audio folder that any file matching a certain file name structure and is older than two weeks old, archive it off to my disk station. So that way I'm not just filling up my local drive with the files that we're mm-hmm. recording today. Right? So that's what Hazel does. It It's watched folders done the right way, which is great, but it also has an app cleaner built into it so that when I do what you talk about, Michael, where I drag an app to the trash, it pops up and says, "Hey, I noticed you just dragged an app to the trash. Here's all the files I know to be associated with this app. Do you want to delete them?" And then I can check. I can, you know, manually specify which of them I want to delete, and it could be all or none or you know some subset in between. Uh, there are other apps that do this too. I just happen to be running Hazel all the time, so it's you know it serves dual dual purpose for me. Uh, app cleaner. Is another one that I use if I want to yes. manually do it. You know, but again, I have to remember to use App Cleaner, whereas Hazel has just got my back all the time. So I, I tend to prefer Hazel. It's, Go ahead, John. Yeah.
0: No, it's one of the few apps where one of the first things I do when I set up a machine is put an alias to app cleaner on the desktop. Mm, interesting. Yeah, because yeah, they they yeah, like other programs, they they have done lots of research and know where to look for the little bits and pieces that often get left behind if you just throw away the app.
1: Right, that's right. Well, but here's my problem with App Cleaner: if I throw away the app and then go run App Cleaner, it doesn't help me because it it I can't tell it go and delete files that are related to I would love something. That would go and delete files that are related to apps that I no longer have, and I don't. I haven't found a way for App Cleaner to do that. Um, no. Okay. So. No, I'm not aware of that either. Yeah. So I. I mean, you'd have to reinstall the app and then delete it again for it to say, "Ah, let me go do this mm-hmm. uh, my job here." So. Um, right. Earlier this week, I ran for the first time in a long time, John. I ran Clean My Mac tens, or sorry, Clean My Mac X's system junk feature which is the first one in the the list on the left normally with clean my mac x i'm running space lens which tells me where you know where my space is being used but i ran the system junk thing and i knew that it was going to show me a list before it deleted anything and i also know that like i can with hazel i can granularly you know check boxes and and it showed me a lot of things that were taking up like space and just like you know like we talk about cruft And I probably cleaned out, I mean, I cleaned out thousands of files, but I also cleaned out probably, you know, another 15 gigs or something that I would not have found with space lens because I didn't know where to look. So, so I'm using clean my Mac 10 system junk, which also then does some leftover deletion stuff, which I really like. So I've, I, have I, that, that's one of my new sort of go to run every, I'll say run every six months, but between us, you know, I'm only running it every six or every, I say run every three months, but I'm only going to run it every six. Cause I forget. Um, so, so yeah, there you go. Um, and clean my Mac. Uh, also if you let it run in the background, we'll do the same thing as Hazel. And when you delete an app, it'll jump up and say, Hey, 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 you want me to go and and clean that, you know, stuff up behind you? and and obviously you know again you get that granular options so so yeah i think hazel app cleaner although it's very manual and you have to not forget to use it so that that's why i don't like app cleaner as much cuz it's it it requires a change in workflow whereas hazel and clean my mac will just cover your you know they got you covered so but anyway mm-hmm. if you forget clean my mac also can do that you know find the leftovers so yeah mm-hmm. Uh, it says, <clears throat> and Warren points out that CleanMyMac specifically has this feature, which I didn't know. If you go into Uninstaller and choose Leftovers, it will go and find all those leftovers. So there you go. And and also AppTrap, Alex in the chat room says AppTrap detects when an app is moved out of the moved to the trash and immediately prompts the user to trash all that other stuff. But he says AppTrap can solve that that issue. Um, Oh okay it just it's like hazel or or uh it's the on the fly thing. All right, well we'll put AppTrap trap in the in the list too. That's great. Excellent. So so there you go. Do you use any is app cleaner the only thing you use John or do you have anything that like mm-hmm. watches in real time? Um
0: that's that's pretty much the only one that's I it. use.
1: Okay. Well, I I'd, I'd be curious if you cuz you have cleaned my Mac X, right? It's part of set. Yeah,
0: I, I ran it. I ran it the other day, and I think uh, I, it's, I. I wasn't I'd happy cu- with what it came up with.
1: I'd be uh, so a. I'd be curious if what what it shows for leftovers for you, and when you say it wasn't, you weren't happy with what it came up with. Are you talking about the the uh, system junk thing? Yeah. Uh, I'll give it another whirl. Yeah. I I mean, I, I definitely went through the list and there were immediately some things I unchecked. Like, no, I please don't delete that, but that's fine. I'd rather have it find more than, Mm -hmm. than find less. It was easy to go through and like uncheck a few of them. But after I unchecked a few, it was like, well, the rest of these, yeah, this can go. I'm ready. It's fine. Yeah. So, but there you go. There you go. All right. Well, that's what we got for today. We're uh we're we're out of time here. I mean, you know, it's how it goes. It's it's we're you know, we all got to learn our five things and then some. This is good. Mm-hmm. Cool. Any final thoughts, Mr. Braun, before we uh before we pull the ripcord on this one? Nope. Okay. Thanks to uh thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to everybody for sending in all your questions and your tips and your cool stuff found it like this is what keeps the show going forward thanks to all of our premium listeners we're short on time so i will i will thank you in the next episode we will also do wi-fi in the next episode but uh i mean i will thank you by name i am thanking you now in mass thanks to all of you thanks to everybody who visits our sponsors uh wait brian monroe is pointing out something i thought it was a shortcut but he says there is also cc cleaner or Cleaner. I don't know about Cleaner, which is why I thought it was like he was typing a shortcut for mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not sure what I thought it was. CCleaner.com. I will put it in the list for uninstalling app crap, uh, app crap, <laughs> uninstalling app cruft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's there. I don't know what Cleaner does, but it sure looks like it does a lot of the things that we need. So thanks, Brian Monroe. That's excellent. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for sharing the show and, and telling your friends about it. Thanks to all of our sponsors, of course, uh, linode.com slash mgg, barebones.com, audible.com slash mgg, sunbasket.com slash mgg. Thanks to um, thanks to everybody in the chat room at live.mackgeekab.com. You help with everything that we do. It's excellent. Really nice to have all this stuff coming in in real time. It's good. Uh Thanks to all of our sponsors in the podcast marketplace, Smile, OWC, Hero. Thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you.
0: And Dave, with yes, the game sir. today, there's one thing that you want to make sure of, and that's when you throw the ball,
1: it doesn't get caught. Wait, no, they want it to get caught, right? Oh, right. Sorry. I think that's how it works. Yeah. All right. Uh, i see you next time Made up